That's a great question. I'm sure it's difficult. I've not been in that position personally, so um, I'm sure if I had been or if I were, it would better inform my answer. But I w- what I would say in general terms is I think some of that comes into play even in ministry. For example, um, I am naturally an introverted person, and that's my natural tendency. Uh, I love people. <laughs> But I, I've, I'm perfectly happy to sit at a table and listen to everyone's conversation. And genuinely, I'm joyful in that situation. Sometimes people, I think, would think, you know, you don't seem to be very, be very joyful. Well, I am down in here. <laughs> I'm happy. But as a pastor, I really can't be passive like that all the time. People have different expectations. They visit the church. They come. I, I have to sort of force myself to be more extroverted. I think in the same sort of way, there are certain things you have to do at your job to sell a product or to sell a service. I think what goes on in our minds and hearts is the most important thing. Do I see this as me promoting myself, or do I see, see this as something skillful related to my job? And if I'm successful at it, uh, do I give God glory, or do I take that glory to myself? So I think you just have to distinguish in your mind and heart. And and by the way, you know this. I'm not saying something here that you don't know. I mean, where that line would be crossed is the violation of Scripture. I'm not going to do something that violates the Word of God to promote my company, no matter what's expected of me. So so as long as I'm not violating Scripture, it it becomes a hard attitude, the way I think about this. So if I'm sort of forcing myself to get outside my comfort zone to engage someone visiting our church, so that they'll feel welcome, so that their questions about the church will be answered, that sort of thing. I'm not being artificial. I'm doing what's required in order to accomplish the ministry, though it's uncomfortable for me. And then if they find me to be really affable and they go, man, that's really an outgoing guy, I don't say to myself, man, what a good job you did. You know, thank you, Lord, for helping me to do this. So that's how I would think through it. Richard, feel free to speak. You really spend most of your life in corporate life and but have had a ministry mindset and and just as you've been an influence in the church any thoughts on that well when when dr caldwell started speaking about the posture of the heart that's where i i kind of like that's that to me is the distinguishing element um i i think because i think that when you're talking about there's a difference between like he was saying um doing your job with excellence and, and that being a legitimate outcome of what you've done. So the deployment of your gifts and talents and abilities, your training, all these things, and that results in an excellent product of work that garners praise and adoration, acclamation, promotion, whatever it might be in your sphere of, of employment. Um, those are just facts. That, that's just what's happened. The, the real question is what's going on, like he said, in, inside the heart of us. And I, I would say that whether it's in the context of work or anywhere else, we're all inclined toward pride and toward, you know, those, those areas of sinful selfishness and how it might manifest itself in any number of ways. And so I think we're always having to kind of have, uh, you know, be checking our own heart, testing it against the truth of God's word, coming to conferences like this, being around other people who model human, all these things that we were called to do so that there's a, there's a, a, a barometer there um, that helps us kind of keep all that in check. Yeah, and then to that is 
really an issue of the fear of man, uh, the love of praise, because as you had mentioned earlier, you know, we may desire those things, crave acceptance, but can we absorb criticism? Can we take, uh, when we're not treated fairly, especially in the workplace, can we be meek? Can we be humble in that? Not provoked to resentment or bitterness. And that's just the issue of the heart. So, yes. Next. Part. <laughs> well, as a buffoon. <laughs> you, want to take you can go first. I will answer. I don't know what to say. Yeah. You want me to go? Yeah, I want you to go. Okay. There aren't a lot of examples that come to my mind right now where I think of young men in our church, and I'm thinking, you act buffoonish, and I wish that would change. <clears throat> I think a few a few things, though, I could mention in... in in the church in general terms. Um, You're living in a time where people are getting married later in life, later and later and later in life. And I I would encourage Christians to think about what is motivating them to that end. So it's not that being single is sinful. Paul makes that clear. There are benefits to singleness. But if what is motivating me to stay single is selfishness or worldly desire, then that would be a problem. So that would be one thing I might identify. I look at the church and I just see people getting older and older as they get married these days, and I wonder what's motivating that. Same could be said for having children. You know, the idea that we've got to get everything together as a couple, financially and every other way, before we can have children. There, there's a wisdom to be exercised in, in that matter of the timing of children, but... As a man who married at 19 years of age, as a man who was a father at 22 years of age, uh, as a husband who used to walk through Walmart with my wife, putting things in the basket and taking them out on the way out the door, and that was entertainment. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have any money, so let's just go walk around Walmart and have a good time. Um, I can tell you that you can experience sweet, gracious blessings without money. And without the greatest place to live and all those sorts of things. So I think a lot of those, that mindset is driven by the culture, not by scripture. And then I, I see a, an immaturity creeping in into the church that um, I think the people who suffer from it would congratulate themselves on being serious thinkers. But it's actually, in some ways, it's very immature. And that is... If in your pursuit of, of theology, if in your pursuit of, of um, a deeper Christian life, you find yourself not respecting the elders of your church, that's actually 
uh, very immature. And I see that happening in the church. We have so many, access, so many ways to access theological information now. Right? All these podcasts and all these sermons that you can download and all the stuff you can read. And I, and I see in, in a gener, in one of the generational things I'm seeing in our church at times are some young guys who love theology. And they'll talk about all the things they're reading. And I'm re- reading Bavink, and I'm reading, you know, they've got all these things they're reading. But if they're approached by one of our elders about some issue in their life, they kind of had an, have an attitude that says, well, I'll take that under advisement. Instead of understanding God has put this person in this role in your life to shepherd you, you need to hear him like that. And even appreciation. You know, I've talked about MacArthur's ministry and how it's influenced me. I love John, but John doesn't pray for me. And I bet he doesn't pray for you. He probably doesn't know your names. Doesn't know my name. I love him. He's a faithful servant. but He's planted at Grace Community Church. That's where he serves, you see. And the elders you have here, these are the elders God gave you. So, so in this mindset where I love theology and I love the church, that's all wonderful. But I want to knock away the immaturity that doesn't appreciate the local context. And how the church is meant to function, a biblical ecclesiology that causes me to appreciate what God's given me right here and listen to it the way I need to. So those are just a few things that come to my mind. Well, it is the buffoonish part of me that, uh, that is speaking to this. I, I can tell you a couple of things in our marriage that I did right out of the gate that was very buffoon-like, that I thought was very spiritual, was uh, uh, knowing what the Bible says about the wife, what an excellent wife is, memorizing verses in Ephesians 5 on what the wife is to be, and then thinking it was my job to make sure that she did those things, you know? And, uh, and so... How'd that work out for you? Yeah. <laughs> well, she's still with me, <laughs> but that is not because of any of that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that's sometimes that we can... In, in zeal and in immaturity, you know, we can know things like that. And, uh, and it really comes back down to that, that thing that at least I have in me that thinks that I can be the Holy Spirit in your life or in her life or in someone else's life. And, uh, and I learned that through failure and through other wonderful men coming alongside me and kind of slapping the buffoon out of me sort of thing to, that, that you exemplify humility. You're the one. You, I need to be... Uh, an example of Christ, of course, like Ephesians says, for her. But in the process, you know, washing your wife with the water of the word does not mean reminding her of, of Proverbs 31 and Ephesians 5 every time and making sure that, you know, it's, it's, it's you loving her, living with her in an understanding way, being patient with her, coming alongside her, and, and, and you doing the things that, I mean, one, one just practical thing, I remember just, just, I felt like I just came out of a stupor, but I would come home from work and, and, uh, and I would come home and think that it was, you know, I had worked all day. Uh, it's my time to rest. Uh, and, and it's like, and, and I remember a man telling me when you come home, that's when you amp up the work and now you, you take over discipline, you take over whatever is going on in the home and you give your right wife rest, you know? And, uh, and, and so it just completely changed my perspective, you know, and, and instead of coming home and being, you know, like looking around and seeing, you know, did, did my wife, you know, live in a way today that glorified the Lord, I came home and I was like, how can I die to myself and love my wife and love my children? And, and in doing so, 
It's so funny. After you practice that for a while, your wife begins to be like, no, you need a rest, you know, and stuff. And just like and giving you the things you used to would have longed for. But now you're like, I don't even need the rest. I want to I want to serve you, you know, but I think that's one of the the buffoonish things I did out of the gate was, you know, thinking that your understanding of the Bible and your theology is your job to then lord it over her in that sense, rather than you being a broken humble servant and giving up your life, your time, all of your me time gone, you know, and, and laying down your life for her. And, uh, so yeah, I think that was, that was something I learned. Very good. Well, who, I don't know who is with me, but I, I have a date tonight at Walmart with my wife. We, <laughs> we enjoyed every Saturday night going out, poor or not. <laughs> um, anybody else? Chris? I think you kind of described it, Chris, in in your question in a sense, because um, going back to something I said at the beginning of the weekend, there's a reason why when men are being examined regarding shepherding in the church, they're examined with respect to their shepherding skills at home. Does he manage his household well? Because the skills are the same. So uh, let me do this in reverse. Imagine going to a church that has some things out of order and your convictions are right and they're true, but it's go- you have an immature congregation. If you just go in there and dictate the changes, um, your work is likely to be very brief. So you have to, you, you, you don't, you don't let go of your convictions, but you ask God for wisdom as to how best teach those things and model those things. And you pray a lot, and you're patient, and you're consistent. That's how you do it in the church. I know, because uh, I've been through that. And, and then God does what only God can do. Uh, but it takes time and patience. In a marriage, let's say um, you have desires for more Bible study or more prayer, and your wife doesn't, it's the same sort of thing. Sit down, have conversations, explain your heart and why you're thinking the things you're thinking. But you can't make it happen. And so you're going to have to serve the Lord individually, faithfully, make sure you're spending your time in the Word and in prayer and all those things, encourage her to join you, uh, exhort her in ways that um, would encourage her uh, to join you, and, and then be patient. I think in terms of like family worship times, be, be reasonable and wise about how those things are executed you know, little ones who are four years old, five years old, aren't going to sit for a 45-minute exposition from the book of Romans, you know? If you all take your Bibles out now, let's, 
I mean, it's just not going to be effective. And then don't be surprised when they're not excited about that. So we would do things in our home, for example, like um, I would take a, an Old Testament account and then have the kids act it out. And, as the, and so I would assign them roles, and they love that. And I'm able to talk to them and, and convey truth as they do that. But I didn't always do it right. I can remember many times, I, I still have in my mind's eye, a time that I had all my kids sat down in our bedroom. I was going to instruct them. We're going to have a family worship time. And, uh, and we had a bulldog. His name was Moses. And I can still see Moses bust through that door. Those bulldogs would butt those doors with their head. He busts the door. door flies open. He comes, sits down in the middle of my children and goes, <sighs> and it was over. I mean, the Bible study time was over. They're laughing. It, there's no reclaiming that. But just the picture in my mind of having them all sitting down in a line Right? I mean, it's just not the wisest way to, to approach that. So I would think patience, hold your convictions, uh, influence, exhortation, encouragement. And then when, you, when there is a desire to join you in that, arrange it in a way that is most helpful and, and let it grow. You know, I tell guys sometimes when they feel convicted because they don't spend enough time in Bible study, listen, it would be better for you to take a verse of Scripture, read it and meditate on it all day long than to not read at all. So you say, I don't have time to read a chapter today. So, so you just go on about it and you forget God's word. That, that's not the better. The better choice would be read a verse and now meditate on that throughout the day. Don't put yourself under a load of guilt about what, what you can't do. Do what you can. I think that applies to home situations as well. Do you want to add to that? I mean, this gives me an opportunity to affirm my wife because um, and it ties into what you were kind of some of the, the principles you were laying out, but th- these things I think are best when they're natural and organic right. in nature more than prescribed and, and, and overly formal because that's really not even how you function in your home anyway. Mm-hmm. So to all of a sudden introduce, some, and again, I'm not prescribing one way or another. I mean, if you found a rhythm that works in your home and it's pretty formal and set and that's what works for you, please continue. But I'm just saying, I think that the natural flow of home life is it's got its own unique tone and temper and all that. And so to the extent that you can work with that and still achieve spiritual ends that are fruitful, that are substantive. And I I was going to say, I commend my wife because she, she does this. So she, um, she likes us to have time on Sunday evenings you know, if we don't have something going on at church or whatever, Sunday evenings where we just get together, we, we talk, we have, and then we'll have a, just a, a prayer time. Um, and so, but what she does is she tries to, you know, in the house, my daughter's away at college. So it's just her and two yahoos, me and my 16 year old son. Well, we like food and she's a good cook. So what she does is she'll, you know, make cookies or something. She'll make some kind of something. And in the natural, you know, to get my son to, come down into the living room to eat cookies that's easy so he comes down we sit in the living room we start eating something that she's made or whatever she's bouncing back and forth between the kitchen and the living room and then we sit down and we start having a conversation and in the natural organic flow of that we move the discussion to things that are substantive questions about what's going on at school and you know tell me about this situation you mentioned the situation and, and you just move it toward modeling and speaking into that whole discussion with biblical truth 
and with wisdom of experience that you have and all those kinds of things. So I'm speaking personally, and my wife has been a real effective catalyst for that just by the way that she's helped us kind of shape that up naturally in our home. That's outstanding. That's extremely wise. And, and that accords with the Old Testament instruction concerning the training of our children, doesn't it? When they get up in the morning, when they walk through the day, when they lay down at night. So all of life is the schoolhouse. And the opportunities to teach are all around us. And so the more natural and organic those times are, the better received they are usually. That's good. It makes me think of practically ways we tried to interest our children in those things. First of all, living it out, committing to live that life, not just being dependent upon uh, being in the Word, but living out the Word in our life. And like Richard said, this, this comes naturally, that my wife and I are always having conversations about the Lord, and, and maybe it's our own personal devotion that's coming out, or just the experiences of the day but involving our kids in that while we're washing dishes and while I'm helping fold clothes uh, and, and going through the normal course of life. But I remember a principle I learned in teaching my son to love sports, and, and I was particularly love golf. Well, I learned a lesson on how to get kids interested, that go out on the driving range and, and let him hit a few shots, and if he hit like four or five shots good, end it. Just pack it up and leave. And, and he will be so interested in getting back there. Rather than staying and drilling him for another hour, when he gets to the point of frustration, as golf does, and he doesn't ever want to go back again. And sometimes I think we have that mindset as men and husbands that we're going to force this. We're going to formalize it. Uh, we're going to practice this family worship, uh, if not weekly, uh, daily. But yet we're really, I just remember sometimes it being a chore for our kids when we were trying to endeavor to do this. And we're dealing with four and five-year-olds that are falling asleep. And uh, just the same way y'all fall asleep whenever I teach, even now. Um, <laughs> but it's just, um, it's just something is, that was emphasized. It just needs to be a natural part of your life. Uh, you, you're not inserting those conversations, uh, as Brian was saying, to just encourage your wife. It is your life. It, you live uh, your life in the body of Christ, in the word of God, and it just should be spilling out naturally. And, and that should be a natural part of your family life. So uh, let's do one last question. We're right on the, the dot and of two o'clock. Uh, if there's not any others, we could take this time to close it. But is there any other? Go ahead, Zach. I I don't know, Zach. I don't know what the structures are here, how that's worked out here. Um, My context, where I'm at, is we have men's discipleship every Wednesday morning at 630. Um, Not only is that an opportunity for teaching, but then our men pray together at the end of that. They get to know each other better. And, and, and so the easy answer is just um, form a relationship with someone that you feel like has something to teach you. They're older than you in the Lord. Or they're faithful and going to just keep you encouraged or whatever the case may be. And you just link up with that person and spend time with them. 
and um, talk about the things of God with each other. Maybe read a particular book together. You know, you agree on a book you're going to walk through together and to discuss it every week. Um, I know that oftentimes young men will approach me and say, is there somebody who could disciple me? So maybe ask one of the elders, is there someone here that could spend time with me? And if I have the time in my schedule, I do that with young men all the time. It'll be breakfast times. Um, there's some pastors in the area that I meet with, and we talk about things going on in the church. And so, so these relationships are all around us. We just have to take the initiative to, to form those links and then walk in those relationships. I remember when I came to the Lord, the guy that, uh, the pastor that was kind of discipling me, he told me, find men uh, and, just, and just put yourself underneath them. You know, find men, find men that have strengths where you see your weaknesses and then go to them and just say, how, how did you get where you are, you know, and then just listen. You know, and, and that's one of the things that, I mean, right out the gate uh, kind of propelled me along in my walk with the Lord was just knowing that I know nothing and knowing that I am nothing, and finding men that just had faithfulness or kindness or patience or a, a deep understanding of the word, and then, and then just asking them, how, how, did you, how do you know where to open the Bible and get to this and get to that, you know, and just stuff like that, or just, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, how are you so patient when this and this and this is happening? Because, I mean, like, like a, a fraction of that will happen in my life, and I'll immediately get impatient or want to defend myself, or you know what I mean? And that was, that was very uh, good advice, I felt like, that uh, someone gave me. And the other thing that I've heard Jerry Rag say over and over is surround yourself with men that intimidate you spiritually. You know, guys that are, you know, like you look at them and, you know, you, you kind of cower around them because they're living it. I mean, there's integrity there. There's character there. There's, there's a man there that you're just not. And, and instead of, like, going away from them and finding other little fish that you can be with, you put yourself around the, win, the ones that, they're living the life. They're the men in the church, you know? And, and again, just learn, listen, uh, imitate, glean, you know? And uh, I don't know, those are two, those were very good advice that I got. I would, I would encourage a boldness there, too. Uh, I think that um, echoing, I mean, just agreeing with what Brian just said completely, but be bold to pursue it. I mean, there's people in this room that are worthy of of uh, speaking into my life your life i mean um and yet you know there's no sort of for that kind of one-on-one sort of unique discipleship relationships that can kind of be forged in the life of the church there's no sort of like sign up sheet or you know uh, online thing that you go to generally those things happen because i think that by and large they happen um, because young men go to older men that they've noticed something or there's been some connection point and they're just, they just take that step to say, would you, would you be interested in meeting a little bit with me? Now, that doesn't mean that it's not the onus is not on the older men also to be pursuing the younger men, but I'm just saying I would encourage a, a boldness there. Um, I think that there's men in our church that you know, they're not going to be inclined to assume that you know, you want, uh, that you want to hear from them. You know what I'm saying? It just, it, it, you don't really think like, well, you show up at church and you're like, I wonder how many of these younger men really could benefit from my counsel right now. You know, I mean, you just, I mean, you just don't think like that. And, and yet if someone pursued them and said, especially some of the younger guys in the church and said, you know, can we just grab coffee sometime? And, and I, I'm 
I'm 99.9% sure that in most cases, if you've observed a consistency, it seems like, you know, there's a, a consistency of character. You've heard them speak and, and talk to one, you know, other people, and you, th- that's, they're legit. They're going to be like, sure, let's, let's do it, and they're going to want to make that investment. So I think that there's a little bit of um, hesitancy sometimes to just kind of knock on that door initially because you, you, you kind of think you don't want to impose or they're probably busy or, or whatever, and, and I just would encourage a little risk-taking or a little boldness there. I agree, but I also would say I think as older men, uh, we sometimes need to remember what it felt like to be a younger man and make ourselves available. When you walk into a room like this, where did you sit down? Who did you sit down with? I mean, we could think more strategically that way. You know, am I going to sit down with a young man or with all the guys my age? And, um, but I, I completely agree with what Richard was saying, which is we do have to have a boldness, and I think in both directions, uh, to, to involve ourselves with each other. I think we could also be more intentional as churches in terms of trying to foster these relationships. Again, remembering what someone feels like. If you walk into a church and you're relatively new there, you don't know anybody. And so if you're a man who's struggling at home, let's say, and you really have need, how do I do this? There's, there's not a sign-up sheet. There's not an online portal. So how do I get involved? And I think if, if as churches we can try to make that more uh, easier for guys to, to recognize, here's what you do. So, you know, we announce our discipleship times. We tweet about it. We put it on Facebook. We, we do those things to let men know, here's where you can begin. And then the relationships can, can be linked up there. But start here. If we did more of that, I think it might be helpful. Yeah, it's certainly one of the more daunting challenges to any church to try to, in some way, <clears throat> know that we're being productive in terms of discipling men and equipping you for the work of ministry. Uh, not only to be successful in your endeavors as a husband, a father, an employee or employer, but also one who is thriving as a worshiper of God. And so I'm not kidding when I talk about an annual men's conference and, and Sunday morning teaching. I mean, these are just basic discipleship uh, resources that you have. So first and foremost, be committed to that and recognizing that you are growing as you commit to those things. Uh, but to... Uh, to formalize, to program discipleship is a challenge. We think about it all the time. Uh, and, and we know that there are needs out there. But I think if we just are faithful and are stewards with what we are receiving every week, we are being discipled. You are able to grow. Uh, we need to be, as I've heard it said, self-irrigating Christians. But there, when there are needs, when there are opportunities... I'm with you, Zach. As a young man, I look to other older men to be discipled. So I'm kidding there. I, unfortunately, I fall into the when, he, when Richard said he's only 55, is really humbling to a guy that's 51, but but still lacks a maturity that he has. Yeah, I, I, I'm 51, so it's only 55. So, uh, and Richard just turned 51, I think. Congratulations Thank you for that. I appreciate and announcement. Brian's 62, so he's looks well for his age. But yeah, it, it is a, I, I appreciate your heart. And, and I think I know several of you have that desire uh, to grow. You reach out to us often. 
Um, but, but know that we want to be available and, and we are looking. We do have a Tuesday morning discipleship. Shane leads a leadership group. It's not you know, convenient for everyone to make it, but, but we definitely have that out there. And we have several other discipleship groups going on. Uh, but yeah, just but make sure you're taking advantage of the resources that we are trying to constantly uh, present to you and bring your way. So thank you. Go ahead. One more thing. I was going to say, too, if, if you don't know, if you're like, well, how do I know what man to be discipled by or something like that? One thing that I've learned is just plug into the body. Just start serving faithfully somewhere, and you will, you, these men, you'll begin to see them because you'll be serving with them, and you'll watch them, and you'll watch their character and how they interact with other people. Does that make sense? And, and they'll, they'll rise to the surface. It's not always necessarily an, an elder with a title elder that you need to meet with, but you have faithful, godly men serving in all kinds of ministries in this church. And a lot of times we don't know who they are just because we're unplugged, you know what I mean? Or you, you, you might show up passively and listen, but you just kind of walk out the door when it's over, and staying around, fellowshipping, plugging in, serving, you will begin to see that the men will rise to the surface, and you'll be like, man, that guy's got something I don't have. That guy's got something I don't have. And I think that's the, the best way to find those men is plug into the body of Christ, and you yourself serve faithfully, and you'll begin to see the men that are, that are, that are rise up. And one more thing. This is just for the guys who end up discipling others. I just want to encourage us to remember what Richard said about um, home discipleship, letting it be natural and organic. I talk, what's got this on my mind is uh, I've met twice now with a young man um, who's been struggling in his marriage, and he was being discipled by one of the older men in our church. And one of the things that this young man said to me is he said, and he wasn't being critical. You'd had to have been there and heard it. He wasn't being critical. But he said, this man put so much on me that I knew I was just going to fail. I mean, he, you know, reading assignments and homework and all sorts of things. And what this young man really needed was just this older man to just put his arm around him and say, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about these things that we find in Scripture and how these things apply in your marriage. And so I would just remind us, if you're in the role of a discipler, um, what, these, what this man's really wanting is just to know you and walk, walk with you as you walk with Christ and help him learn how to do that. So don't feel like you have to over-formalize it as a discipler.